Okay, so we are here today with Gigi Robinson. And Gigi, I'm so inspired by the platform you've built. So I'm really excited to get a chance to connect with you. I'd love for us to start off with just you introducing yourself and all the things that you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. The mutual follow has been definitely there for a while. So I'm really excited (laughs) to also meet another like cool woman kind of like reporting on and talking about marketing and the creator economy. It's so important to hold space for that, especially in a somewhat male dominated commentary field of (laughs) the creator economy. So if you don't know me, I am a thought leader in different spaces, creator economy being one of them. I studied that at USC for my master's of innovation. I also got a BFA from there in fine art design and storytelling. So I definitely love telling stories and just thinking about the world in ways that we can help the world through better storytelling. And that leads to marketing and advertising. And so it's very full circle and it all relates to ads and ad space and things like that. I have a entertainment and production background. I, a lot of my internships professionally in college were all Warner Bros, Paramount, Movers and Shakers agencies, so on and so forth, doing digital marketing, social media, and TikTok strategy. I joined a social media club called USC reach, which led me down the path of my influencer stardom, I would say. And I basically started talking about my issue with my health online because I didn't really know how to confront it behind the scenes. I needed to find a community. And this is back in 2019, 2018 even. And I just started making art. And as I was making art, I was also posting about the art. And as I was posting about the art, I was finding other people dealing with the same stuff. And as I was doing that, it was growing the community. And as I was nurturing that, I was sharing more and more about my story and my life. And I just think that it's been quite a journey. And so the past year, uh, 2022, my life changed when I was accepted to the Sports Illustrated Swim Search class of 2022. And I was the first woman dealing with health issues openly to pose in the magazine. And I also don't retouch or do anything because I'm a huge supporter of like the body, you know, confidence and body positivity movement and people just showing up as they are and not that self-improvement doesn't exist, but that it's a place where you reach instead of trying to achieve something. It's an internal place where you reach. And so a lot of my content today is about body image, mindset, confidence, creator economy, has all these health issues, but I'm potentially moving a little bit away from that as I explore other opportunities of my life. Did you expect to become a creator or is that something you kind of stumbled into? Increasingly, I think people set out to become a creator. I accidentally became one. I think the path looks so different for everyone. How did that journey start for you and did you set out to become a creator? Yeah. So I've been doing photography since I got my health diagnosis back in 2008, I think. Basically, I had to give up competitive swimming and found something new to take up as my hobby, and that was photography and art. And as I did that over time, I was like, I want to be a fashion photographer who doesn't retouch and who empowers women. And I want to be a the photographer that shoots ads for billboards or for magazines. And it has that sentiment of confidence, whether that is somebody who isn't a stereotypical model or whether that's just like not retouching. I want to just make people look and feel their best. And I think the sentiment has stayed the same for the past 10 years, which is kind of really fabulous that it's happened like this. And so I joined Reach on the premise that I would be somebody that I could 
kind of like be that voice of like authenticity and no retouching in 2017, which is like at that point it was starting where people were like, yeah, I think retouching's kind of fucked up. So I was like, I want to be this like young photographer, like making waves, changing narratives in this this realm. And so as I joined Reach, it was really because I started shooting for brands as a photographer. And then one day we were shooting a skit and like our actor didn't come. So I jumped in. And as I jumped in, I was like, wait, this is kind of fun. Like I did acting in high school, like musical theater. So fun. Like I love it. Like why not? And so I did that and it was just so much fun. It kind of just snowballed after that. I ended up needing jobs to make money and I was like, oh, I could be a campus ambassador. So then I started applying religiously to these programs like the TikTok ambassador program, which I don't think exists anymore and the Tinder U and the Bumble Honey and Abercrombie and Fitch had one and so on and so forth. And they were all ways to build my multiple streams of income in college because I put myself through college to some extent based on the agreements I made with my parents. And, you know, I needed money to do that. And that meant getting the best grades I could, getting doing the most extracurriculars, building my brand online, and doing internships simultaneously. And so as I built this robust kind of experience being the face for brands on campuses and learning field marketing, really, it was field marketing and social media influencer marketing combined, I was learning how to run teams and build teams on campus and throw like parties that people would come to on campus. And I learned how to like manage budgets and like make shit happen in a short amount of time. And that was just great. And so I think in that sense, I had a lot of experience that prepared me to be a full-time creator a lot better than maybe other people. But, you know, in 2020, I was working for Warner Bros as a digital marketing intern for their motion picture uh, worldwide U.S. theatrical department. And then in March, I got an email that said, you know, sorry, we're moving remote and all interns are suspended immediately. We'll pay you out next week. They paid us out. I get home. I'm like, fuck, I just had to fly 3,000 miles home. I am graduating in three months and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a job lined up because the job that I thought I was going to potentially continue is now not happening. Like they're going to do budget cuts. And so then I saw, I was like on LinkedIn and I'm a big LinkedIn creator as well. So I've always been posting on there. You could go back and see, I've been doing this for at least five years. It's only like the past year that's been two years. It's been the creator program, but you know, I, I basically connected with the CEO of Movers and Shakers, which is a TikTok marketing agency. And I messaged the guy and I'm like, hey, I think what you're doing is really smart. Would love to do an informational interview. He's like, yeah, by the way, are you looking for a job? And I'm like, fuck yeah, like this couldn't have happened at a better time. So I worked with them for six months. And then I also simultaneously had my internship with Paramount Remote, where I was working in the photo department as a coordinator, but I was working on learning like the trade of what it means to be a photo coordinator. Like it wasn't as hands-on because it wasn't on the lot. Like I was remote in my bedroom. So I was doing that at night part-time as I did Movers and Shakers full-time in the day. And then I finished my last semester at USC also remote in the fall and enrolled in my master's degree 
And during that semester, I was like, I'm going to see what I can do to like see if I can make social media work part time for like three months. And if I can, then like, okay, maybe I could do it full time. So then I graduated December 16th, 2020, enrolled in my master's degree that same day, also at USC hybrid and also started an LLC like on the first of the year, like I filed for it and then I didn't get it until the first of the year and I just kind of like winged it. And so I was kind of confident that it was going to happen, but did I expect to do it the way I've done it the past two years? No, like I couldn't have planned this if I tried. That is incredible. And I, I resonate with that in a smaller way because I feel like so much has changed and I've gotten so many opportunities over the last year, especially in my business focused niche. And it's just so surreal. Like last night I hosted this dinner of about 25 women who are beauty founders and CEOs and executives. And it was awesome bringing everyone together. And I remember just having this feeling of like, I can't believe I'm here now because a year ago things were so different. So how do you process? I mean, for you over the last two years, especially, it sounds like everything has really accelerated. And now you're doing so many things. I mean, you're going on a speaking tour, you're writing a children's book, you're doing, you have a podcast, you have have so many opportunities. First of all, do you find that you give yourself the space to pause and take it all in? And also, how do you process it? Does it seem like things are happening Mm. fast? Or does it seem like it's happening at a pace that you can really sort of absorb it all? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's like I do deal with this and it's taken me a long time to come to terms with the fact that some days are going to be like really high and others are low. And I kind of think of it as like the tides, like sometimes an ocean is going to be really vigorous and harsh and other times it's going to be just like slow and calm. And that's okay. When I think about my career, it's like some days and some periods like fashion week, both February fashion week which is literally coming up the end of next week to the the fort to the the ninth to the twenty first. I'm like really <laughs> scared. Like if that voice, that tone, and that sentiment didn't say anything, I don't know what will. The other the other time, Fashion Week is in September, and this was my first year. 2022 was the first year where I genuinely like did it. And I was like at the shows and I was on the red carpets and the photographers are like, snap, snap. And they're like, what's your name? And you're like, ah, oh my God, this is so quick. And I think another part of it for me has not only been the things that I get to do, but also there's creators who like are big and they're online, but they don't go out and do thought leadership. And they're not like industry leaders per se, or like they're not attending public facing events or speaking on panels. Not that every creator needs to. That's just where I've been also because of my experience as an academic person. I have that side to me that a lot of creators don't. And I found that that those things are parts of the reason why people have recognized me for like the work that I do. And I think that's great. So as these things happen simultaneously, it's kind of like, whoa, like the world recognizes me and, and I feel seen by the industry and by other industries, by not only the creator economy, but now the fashion industry is like, we want Gigi in our clothes at our show. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, what? (laughs) And so as I think about my place in the industry, I do my best to never compare myself. I can only be proud of like what I'm doing in any given moment. So like I wrote my children's book on Monday with the publisher and it's like, holy shit, like that's been a goal of mine. And I just like made it happen and it's happening. It's and like, would that have been possible without being a creator? 
I don't know. And I try not to think about those theoreticals because I'm grateful that it did happen. I think thinking about so far in the future or or even just about like ways to make certain things happen, like you either create a blueprint or you don't. And I'm the kind of gal that makes a blueprint. I'm like, I got to rock and roll as a thought leader and create this children's book. So by the time it's out there in the world and it's received in a certain way, adult want a nonfiction memoir or thought leadership book from me that I can then bring to the table and a publisher can be like, yeah, we value this. We want this. And it's like setting up little building blocks like that where like I've been thinking about this for a year. It's just about when is the right time to execute on a marketing campaign. And I think the marketing campaign is partly the story of my life and it's partly the work that I'm doing. So am I surprised by the work that I do? Yes and no. I think the opportunities come and it's just like, wow, it's wow. How do you prioritize the projects that you either initiate yourself or that you say yes to? Because I imagine you're getting a lot of things coming your way. And if you were to say yes to all of them, I imagine you would not have time to sleep. So how do you pick and choose? Well, I used to say yes to everything. And I think there is a time and place in life to say yes to everything. If you want to make something happen in TV and film, or if you're an actor, the idea is you say yes to everything. And I think until you get to a point where you can afford to say no and draw that boundary is where you say no. And until that point, until you're secure enough in that point, you don't say no. So I've kind of approached things that way. I also have been somebody who literally always has a camera next to me at all times. Uh, Again, photographer first. I've been a Nikon girly for life. Shout out Nikon, my favorite camera brand. Have you done a a partnership with them? There may or may not be something in the works. Okay. So yeah, basically, you know, I have always stayed true in terms of partnerships. I'm like, you know what? When you work with me, you're getting camera quality assets every single time. I don't shoot shit on my phone. And as an artist, that is my boundary for my business and my personal brand and my integrity of like who Gigi Robinson is outside of my social media persona. I'm like, I am a junkie for photography. That's been something that I've been firm on that like I've been able to charge certain rates for. And as I charged certain rates for and increased them over time, I've been able to kind of like approach brand deals a little bit differently. So I think there are a lot of opportunities. I'm very specific about different, more things in person that I've been going to than not. The second half of 2022, like May to December was really heavily like, I'm going to like six, seven, eight events per month, at least two premieres per month. And I think all of that stuff was like so fun and so great. But I'm also in a place where I am literally going to sleep at like 8.30 at night. Eastern. And I don't mind that at all. Like I actually have been doing that and waking up at 6, 6.30. And it's like really been beneficial for me and my health. And that's like the most important thing to me. I I think my priorities were scrambled for a long time. I wrote about this recently in my latest LinkedIn newsletter. If anyone wants to go look at it, it was called How Blueprints Are the New New Year's Resolution. And I feel like a blueprint of mine for this year is to get into the best shape that I've ever been in, not for any other reason than I've had health issues for so long. And I had a surgery in December that, you know, we we got a diagnosis and we got some treatment happening and 
I'm the best I've ever felt in my life the past month, which is such a beautiful moment for me. It's like the fog is clearing in a lot of ways. And for me, because I'm able to now do other things because I don't need to spend every waking breath focused on my health, I'm going to do everything that I can so that I can do other things in other areas of my life. So now, whereas before it was like school, work, social life, relationships and friendships, and my health was last. Can you believe that? I went to this event with the female lead back in October, I think, and they had said, if you don't focus on your wellness, you'll be forced to focus on your illness. And since then, I was keeping it in my mind. I didn't come up with it. It wasn't me. I wish it was because it's so good. But I think about it a lot because now I'm like, health is first. Then I would say maybe it's like relationships and friendships. Then it's work. And maybe learning is in there. Like I'm not getting a degree anymore, but like I am learning every day. And then I would say social life. My social battery, I only have so much and I'm only going to extend myself as far as I need to. So if I need to go to a social event because I need to meet someone, okay. But let me tell you, more times than not, I will have done something with the potential for something to come of it. Or I will have attended an event with the potential to meet somebody. And guess what? Nothing fucking ever comes from it. I'm not saying that it couldn't. I'm just saying in my experience, whenever I've done something for free or pro bono or just to test out a relationship, you don't date potential for a reason. The second that I started focusing on like only going to what I wanted, more good shit happened and it made more space actually for good things to come in and brand deals that I wanted to come in. So yeah, that's kind of how I have been navigating it. That's amazing. And it's also really fascinating that recently you have reprioritized such that health is first and you've also been navigating this chronic illness for a while. Was it that Mm -hmm. before you managed it to the extent that you had to, but health was still not a priority? And what was it that shifted that for you? Yeah, It was a couple of different things. I mean, I think finding out after 13 years what was causing a good amount of my pain that like went unknown for 13 years of my life. I'm 24, more than half my life that I spent in pain because doctors didn't believe me and medicine wasn't at a place where like they could look into women's health the way that like doctors think about it now. And I think that's very telling of the times, first of all. I just want to do everything in my power to make sure that like other people don't go through the same thing, which is why I've chosen the field that I've chosen to like advocate for other people, not only because I've had this emotional experience, but because I've gotten myself to a point where I've seen that talking about it helps millions of people. Millions of people around the world need this kind of stuff. And so honestly, it really took me starting to feel better for me to realize what is possible with the world, what my life could look like if I like didn't always feel pain. I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And I also think it's a commitment to myself to be, I mean, I think a lot spiritually about like the concept of your highest self and being your your highest potential. And I think part of that is feeling your best. I don't want to look my best. I want to feel my best. And if that means I've been literally waking up at 6.15, I sit in bed for 10 minutes, 
Then I turn my alarm off and I get right into my sauna blanket. I play a meditation or 30 minutes of a podcast. I sweat for 30 minutes and I feel my body reacting. I feel the toxins leaving my body. And then I jump into a cold shower right away. I do a cold shower for a minute to two minutes. And then I get up and I journal. And then I usually call a couple friends, wake them up because they are like, you're up so early. Can you be my accountability early person? And I was like, sure. Like, why not? And like, what else am I doing that early? You know, I'll take care of the dog. I will potentially go for a walk when it's not five degrees in New York. And I just think that starting my day and having a routine has been something that's just for me. If I can do one thing a day to focus on just me, then I will do everything in my power to protect that. And if that means stepping back from events because I need to go to sleep before eight o'clock at night, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's non-negotiable. I really appreciate that you have a spiritual perspective on some of these things. And I'm curious, as somebody who has a very close loved one who has navigated chronic illness and has seen a lot of the pitfalls of Western medicine and doctors not Uh believing her and giving her wrong diagnoses, all of that. I have grappled with this almost secondhand, but Mm -hmm. do you feel Mm -hmm. like you are in a place where you can see the spiritual lessons or the gift of your illness? Yeah. I mean, like, look at the work that I do, you know, like I, I've turned it into something where I've been able to be like, yeah, this is really shitty. But something I saw yesterday, it was like a viral video of Michael Caine and and he's like, use the difficulty. And I think that that's exactly what has happened. I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that young women dealing with endometriosis, like that they can be firm and say, you know what? No, it's not my stomach. It's my pelvis. I didn't know for years that I was in pelvic pain. I thought it was my stomach. Had I known that, also the medical system tells you not to go to a gynecologist until you're sexually active. What the fuck? Like literally what the fuck? Women start having their periods between nine and 15 today. So I think the second that that happens, They need to get in and see a gynecologist. And the reason is because they need to realize, oh, are you having any pain in your hips, in your lower back, underneath your belly button? Is that where the pain is coming from? And for me, for so many years, I attributed it to a secondhand chronic illness that was like one that was diagnosed before. I don't know if things would be different. There's no way to fully tell if you have endometriosis without doing the surgery. And if you're just starting to get your period, it's like a crazy concept because it takes time for it to get to that point. I always wonder like, why me? Like when I got the surgery, it was like, oh, you're at this level of it. And I'm like, fuck, like, why did it have to be at this level? And also, why did it have to be this other thing as well? Like, why couldn't it have just been like, yes, we found it. We got rid of it. Yay. Live your life. It was like, no. And, and I'm like, what the fuck? So I think there's a lot of moments that that happens. But if you stay negative, like negative attracts negative, like attracts like. And I'm somebody that wants abundance and I want clarity and positivity and like love. And focusing on something that's so painful is not going to help me, which is why honestly, I think I'll always speak about it, but potentially in my content over the next year or two, that's going to be changing because it's just, I need to take a step back and just be like, I not am letting go. I'm not going to ever let go of my experience and my story and what happened. 
I think I want to use it to empower people in a motivational way as much as possible in terms of the lessons I've learned and how to help them be their most confident version of themselves. It's really hard to also as a creator detach yourself from your work because you are your work. Unlike, you know, if you're a doctor, your patients are your work. Unlike a marketing campaign, your campaign or your billboard is your work. In the creator world, your video is your work, your post is your work, but you are the subject of that work. And therefore, if you don't focus on doing every single thing to feel your best and be your most confident self, then like you're not going to perform your best. And newsflash, when you don't feel or look your best or you know you're not your most confident self, brands can see through that shit. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to work with you in this state right now or like at this period of time. And I think it's always better to be like honest with yourself about it. And you know what? As a creator, you're allowed to ebb and flow. Things happen. People change. You're allowed to go from posting about one thing and over time you develop into something else. I see this happen with creators all the time when they're testing new formats. Like it's not like a profound thing to shift narratives. But in terms of the universal lessons, I think it's beyond frustrating. There's definitely moments of why me? There's moments of this isn't fair. Really, I just wanted a break, like whatever. But you can't change some facts. You can only focus on like how you respond to them. I like what you said about, you know, we should be having young women and girls see gynecologists as soon as they get their periods. And that makes so Uh much sense. What are some other messages that you want to advocate for as far as mental health, chronic illness, body image? What are some other, so to speak, hills you would die on or messages you want to get across to them? Yeah, I mean, I think the overall concept and notion of body positivity as something that, you know, I wouldn't say the trolls, but there's definitely a very like misogynistic perspective on it of like women should act a certain way, women should work out, women need to look a certain way. And it's like, no, body positivity is about a lot of different things. Number one, from the origin, it was a movement that was started by and for fat black women that wanted to find space and hold space for the liberation of their bodies. And I think a lot of social media has distorted it because, yeah, it's like, yeah, you're being positive about your body in every state it in. It's like, no, that's not what I'm advocating for. Like in a perfect world, that would be the case. If people did their homework and realized body positivity was actually historically mismarketed online based on misogynistic viewpoints where they talk about it that way without knowing the fact in the history, anyone can Google this. It's like, if you want to educate yourself, go do it. That's another thing, like I will say on the internet before I dive deep into this is there are too many resources and there is too much information out there for anybody to say anything doesn't make sense in today's day and age, period. I just believe in that. And maybe that's because I'm a researcher. Like maybe not everyone's like that, but you can't tell me you need me to teach you about body positivity. No, go read a blog by somebody who's actively a member of that. I'm also like a a size eight, 10, 5, 4 white woman, I don't fit under the umbrella of body positivity. Where I do come in is under body confidence of helping empower people to feel their most confident, whatever and wherever they can meet themselves at. Body neutrality, the idea where you meet yourself where you're at. And body acceptance, where you love yourself where you're at. And I think a lot of my messaging has really been 
working around that over the years because something I never want to do on the internet, something I'm so grateful for is the space that I have. I never want to take up other people's space. And by partaking in quote unquote body positivity, I would be taking up space from people. I'm much more valuable in body acceptance or body image, body confidence, right? And so I'm really clear about that. Some other hills I would die on, I think creator pay and transparency. I think that's a really big one. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the money that is spent, whether that's on partnerships or whether that's investors investing in new startups, I think a lot of it is for the brand and not for the creator. Yes, you're giving creators opportunities by providing a gateway into it at a low ball price, but therefore it causes an oversaturation of the market. And it also causes the established creators, the people with platforms, with true missions at heart to kind of be missing out on opportunities because now these platforms are made to benefit the brand spending as little as they can on as many people, activating as many people as they can. And so I'm all about educating brands on how not to just go easy and say, yeah, use like a grin or a maverick and, you know, whatever. I get these fucking emails. I'm subscribed to them for research to see what they're offering. And the rates are like product to the most I've ever seen is like 500 bucks. And I'm like, holy crap. And the reason why is those platforms are built to help people enter the market. And I think, yes, that's great. New people should enter the market. I just think it's really concerning that a lot of the money is moved around by men. And I think it takes like strong women to kind of advocate for what we should be getting paid and how we should be getting paid and to make sure that like there's better systems in place to make it more ethical overall. So That's another hill I would die on. Another one, again, like overall advocating for like health and accessibility. I mean, I, as somebody who really struggled in high school and college, just standing up for myself, I think educating college students on like their self-worth is like really important. And last but not least would be continuing to actually not last but not least, but the, the body image stuff also comes down to working with different nonprofits in the mental health space, as well as the big social platforms to really educate and create guidelines for like the Surgeon General literally just this past week said that before the age 15 is like too soon for kids to be on social media because of how it's affecting cognitively the development of the latter half of Gen Z. And that's really terrifying to me. And it's really scary that we're not talking about it at large and that these platforms know this fucking info like they know it. Is it a good thing for me on all days? No. No, it's not. We need to be protecting our youth and mental health, the mental health crisis in general as it pertains to social media is honestly going to be, I think, the quintessential problem of our generation. We're going to be seeing this play out the next 50 years of our life. What do you think are some of the solutions to that? I mean, I think it's like really hard. I don't have all the answers, but I think changing the way we we talk about and integrate social media as a tool into education settings, which, you know, there's college classes at USC and some other universities. Mr. Beast is doing like a social media class at some place. There's that aspect of it. But I think it's also working with these nonprofits hand in hand and with research team and psychologists and doctors and people who have devoted their life to the way that technology has affected mental health and communication. The fact that dating is changing and has changed the past 15, 20 years because of 
digital technology is crazy. Like, yes, dating has always changed over time due to technology, whether that's horse and buggy to like actual car or like, you know, those kinds of things. But like now we're at a place in time where you can have hundreds of options. You can swipe on hundreds of people every single day and not be satisfied. It's like, whoa, why don't we take a step back and find ways to integrate human connection and the six core human needs and, you know, meditation practice and breath work. Why are we not focusing on things we know are tools that help people combat stress? Because all social media is doing is giving us an increased level of stress that humans are not supposed to have. Humans are not supposed to have thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, multiple millions of people's personas and perspectives and opinions on their points of view, period. So yeah, I think it's just about like educating creators also and having more of a thorough bracket and or certification and or thing outside of verification that establishes you as a credible source to be posting the same way a journalist goes to school and starts writing and gets a degree and maybe posts some of their stuff on their platforms like I think social media is going to morph into something like that one day I think the likes and the metrics yes you need it you can see it on back end we know how to do this there is no reason for us to be seeing those metrics because what happens even if this is the context of an individual or if this is even the context of a social media manager who's managing the accounts for a brand it's changing the way that we perceive ourselves and our self-worth what are some of the hardest lessons you've had to learn over the last few years as a creator Ooh, that's a great question. I think one of the hardest lessons that I've learned is really that not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. I also think not every opportunity is for you and that's okay. And there's enough pie for everyone. Let's start with the first one. Not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. I actually find that that is one of those things that is kind of intellectually obvious when you get into being a creator, but when you actually confront some of the negativity or hate or trolling, it can just feel so viscerally uncomfortable and perplexing and unnecessary. Usually my audience, I tend to attract great, smart, interesting, ambitious women. And so I don't get a lot of hate, but when I do, it's like, wow, I'm having trouble processing this in my body. So how have you learned to process that? What does that look like for you, that journey? One of my mantras has always kind of been like, it's none of my business what other people think of me. And luckily I've thought of that from a young age. Um, I've adopted that. It's been hard to learn throughout my twenties, especially like in moments where it became about my health or if people judge me for that, or I got judged for posting on LinkedIn even in college because people are like, you're just flexing. And I'm like, no, I'm allowed to be fucking proud of what I accomplish, period. And I think that's another hill I'll die on is you deserve that proudness. You deserve that sense of accomplishment. And if anybody is telling you or making fun of you for something that you've done, that you've worked your ass off to get in whatever moment in time you are, that you're proud and you want to make a fucking silly little social media post about it and share it with people in your network. Yeah, it's weird that they're judgmental. It's really weird. So I would say, you know, that I would also say it's like a mindset thing. It takes time. You're going to have to like work on that and grow that over time. In college, I cared a lot about what friends thought. But at the same time, I was like, this is my job. Like you wouldn't judge somebody 
going into business administration? Why are you judging me because it's a new field? That's something else. It, it really comes with maturity and age and there's not much more to it that I can really contribute other than like you're going to grow up over time. I'm saying this at 24 years old, but I'm thinking about who I was in college and what I thought and when I was entering the space, how challenging it was for me to detach my sense of self-worth from other people's judgments and just knowing that like you're okay wherever you are and that goes down to acceptance and confidence and it's mindset. So definitely start the self-development stuff. I'm a big fan of all those motivational speakers and I think another thing that's important is to not take everything, you know, literally or so personally, right? Like somebody might just be in a bad place mentally and they might say something super fucked up. Maybe try not to take that personally. And that also comes with time and age. And I think you probably also develop just a thicker skin by being so public on the internet, right? You just kind of get yeah. a little more into it over time. Let's talk about there's enough pie for everyone or the pie yes. is big enough for everyone. Yeah. In this world, I think the past couple of years, especially with TikTok, it's like, how do you hack TikTok? And before that, it was how do you hack Instagram? Like this year, I predict it's going to be how do you hack LinkedIn or Snapchat? Like I think a lot of people want to gatekeep because they think that just by sharing a piece of information, it's going to take an opportunity away from them and it's going to give somebody else something else. And so like there's enough pie to go around. There are enough marketing budgets for every single person who wants to do this and is taking it seriously and is an established creator with an established mission to continue to do well and do good things and work with good brands. The other piece of it is like, you know, you'll you'll see these TikTokers like blow up and it's like, why the fuck are they inviting like XYZ influencer on a trip or like to speak on a panel about their claim to fame when it's like, hello, is there anything going on in there? Respectfully, like I'm not naming names, but I, as somebody who's been in the industry longer, who's been educated on it from a critical, you know, lens, from a research standpoint, from a standpoint of I work with a lot of nonprofits and people with real resources in the world about this stuff. I get frustrated when I might not be a voice elevated at a certain time. And I think that there's a time and place for everything and that those kinds of certain creators with big numbers get opportunities simply because of the big numbers and they wanted a brand at the time wanted a buy-in at a certain price. And think of it as, you know, if you're walking down a metropolitan city, maybe you're seeing an ad in a bus stop or versus on a billboard versus on a Super Bowl commercial. I mean, there's different buy-ins. And I think it's important to remind yourself of that. And that in due time, opportunities will come. Another lesson that I had just thought of similarly, the fact that like a lot of people be like, Gigi, you're doing so well. You're getting so many opportunities, especially in press. Like, can I just ask who your agent is? Or like, can you just tell me how you did that? You need to establish that sense of personal branding and you need to be in the business for a certain amount of time before people view you as a top voice and a credible source. That's it. And a lot of creators don't have that because a lot of creators are just creating for the sake of going viral and for the sake of validation, not because of an actual mission. 
And maybe that's polarizing. It's a hard field to be in. One, because it's uncharted. We're navigating a field that has not been done before in this way and at this pace. Once I think creators start hitting billions and billions of views, once millions become normal to enough people, what's the next metric going to be, right? I worry about that. I just think it's not something that young kids should be aspiring to do. Do you have a voice? Mm -hmm. How are you using it? Do it with art. Do it with writing. Do it with research. And then once you know about your mission and your purpose, maybe then you can start talking about it on the internet. Those are my lessons. Can I just say, listening to you talk is like going to church. It's like just being in the front pew of a, of a church. Literally. I'm sorry. I, I nearly spit out my water. No one has ever said that to me, but that is such a nice compliment and I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you holding the space for this creator economy stuff because honestly, as a woman, like I feel like I get left out of the conversation a lot of the time with my perspective, specifically as it pertains to the way the creator economy is moving. So thank you. That means the most. Yeah. I mean, you think so thoughtfully about these frameworks around this stuff. I think Mm -hmm. people speak about it in more anecdotal, personal ways, but you do both. Talk about the personal stuff and you have actual mental models for how you think about it. So I love both of that. Let's wrap up with one more question. Yeah. You talk about mission, you talk about advocacy, your platform. In 10 years, what is your ultimate dream for your platform? Oh, I love this. I mean, quite honestly, I look up to women like Mel Robbins and Gabby Bernstein and Elaine Weltroth and Jennifer Hudson and Drew Barrymore and, and, you know, a lot of these women who have empowered their very own communities and just serve as a motivational person who has made their dream possible. And because they made it possible, it then it becomes a potential for the next person. And I just want to help other people do that. I want to do a lot of public speaking and continue to write books for adults and go on a speaking tour and develop my podcast further, maybe into like some kind of talk show. And yeah, just continue. Keep on keeping on. There's only so much you can plan and calculate. Like I really thought I was going to be working in corporate entertainment as a social media manager or like TikTok strategist or Instagram strategist or something like that. And so it's kind of wild that now I'm on the other side of it. I am holding that vision for you. So I'm, oh, I'm thank thrilled you. to hear that. Yeah. yeah. You're amazing. Where can people find you? Yeah. So first and foremost, you can Google me. I hate to be that girl, but I'm got that I'm that girl. Like, why not? Um, Gigi Robinson. And my handles on all social platforms are the at symbol, the word it's, and then Gigi Robinson at it's Gigi Robinson everywhere. My website's ggrobinson.com, and that's pretty much that. This was amazing. Thank you so much, Gigi. Thank you. That flew by. I went on a couple tangents there. So if you made it to the end of this, God bless you. I know it's going to be long. (laughs) (laughs) And follow Gigi and follow her TikTok and her podcast for more of the church vibes. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you.